All right, so from what I'm able to see from uh, the lists of Shurim where they're posted on those websites, so I, I think it's been since March since we actually did GPS of the sitter. So we went off uh, when I was there to Israel and we did some stuff related to the Megillah. We did some related to, uh, to the Haggadah. So it's been a while since uh, we left or we were, uh, we were doing davening. So we will... Uh, uh, Baruch Hashem, I, I, I left a mark on my, uh, my notes where we left off. So that's a good thing that uh, at least in the recordings, there'll be continuity of this year and, and nobody will know other than checking the dates that there was such a gap in, the, in time. But we left off somewhat near the end of, <coughs> somewhat near the end of Tachnun. So we're going to try and do is we'll finish off Tachnun. That shouldn't take too long. Then we'll do some of the stuff related to Kriya Satora. Um, I don't want to go through all of the, uh, the tefillahs in a lot of this farim, it was it's it's a lot of footwork to go through all this stuff related related to Kriya Torah, because um, sometimes they talk about it uh, over here by Shachris in the weekday, and sometimes they talk about it on Shabbos Kriya Torah, and sometimes they tell you in both places to look at the other place. So it's a lot of more footwork than uh, just the normal sequence of of things. So uh, I found a couple of uh, things which I will uh, I'm excited to uh, to share. And then we're just going to not but not spend too much time on that. And then we'll move on to the uh, conclusion of davening, the Ashrei Lamnasech Uvalitzion Aleinu Sher Shoyo. Okay, but first things first is, so we have, so, oh, hold on, there's a screen share. Lots of screens. Okay, so that appears on the uh, on the screen there for you? Looks yes. good. Oh, okay. No. okay, you're out. So, so it says this file. So here, this is a, the, the final paragraph of Tachanun. So this we say, regardless of whether it's a Monday or a Thursday, we say this paragraph, the opening line, which they translate it as for us, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. So regarding this line, so the Elia Rabbah, one of the uh, the commentators on uh, on Orchaim, it's really a commentary to the to Levush, but it's essentially a commentary to uh, to to uh, uh, to So he says as follows: This is something which you see. Sidora mentioned this, and I, I assume everybody's aware of the practice. But if not, so we'll become aware of it uh, at this point. So he quotes the Shla who says. Um, no, sorry, the Lavush first. He says, in Kuf, this is in Kuf Lamed Aleph, the end of Sif Aleph. So the Vush writes, after we finished falling on our face, so that was the actual Nefila Sapayim when we put our head down on our arm. So we lift up our head and we supplicate, we daven to Hashem while sitting. Each place has their minog as far as which part of Tachnun that we sit for. So for us, for example, it would be these earlier paragraphs of Shomer Yisrael. So we're sitting for all of that, all the way through Misratza V'chesev Hoshienu. So we sit for all of that. And then, And then we go ahead and we say this paragraph of So the Vush acknowledges that we say this paragraph. And the reason why we begin with these opening words, 
on the Hebrew side means, as for, or actually on the English side, it says, as for us, we do not know what to do. So what do we talk about? We say we don't know what to do. So we say, the, fee, the, re, the reason why we go ahead and we say this is, We've davened in every body position that we possibly can. Be yeshiva, we sat sometimes. Ba'amida, we stood sometimes. And we fell on our face. As Moshe Rabbeinu went ahead and did. So this is the, this line of means, God, there's nothing else I could do. I've davened in every possible position that I can in order to be able to, uh, to make my tefillahs accepted. And there's nothing more beyond that that I could do. There's no other options which, which are available. And it's on that, so he says that it's on this that El Yerabah says that I've seen good Bali tefillah, appropriate the Shluchei Tzibur, that they go ahead and they say these words, uh, they say these five words, these opening words of this paragraph, they say it out loud. And, but not only do they say it out loud, that's not the part which I want to draw your attention to, but they say, the first three words, that said while sitting, Manasa, and then when we get to the fourth and fifth words, Manasa, Amr Bamida, then they get up and they stand at that point. Vamar and he says, Shekin Kabbalah Biyado, this is the Kabbalah that we have, and this matches with what the Lavosh said. That we say that that we said in we begin Tachnun with our head down, then we get to Shomer Yisrael, we sit up. So now we're sitting. And then we say, God, what else am I supposed to do? Call and we stand ourselves up. And now we're in that standing position. So all within Tachnun itself, we daven in all three of the normal body positions that a person would daven in. And then there's nothing more that we could do in order to make these tefillahs uh, uh, acceptable. And we place everything, like the end of that, uh, those words say, is because our eyes are now to you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, because there's nothing more that we could go ahead and we, and we could do. So that is as far as Tachnon is concerned. Then we get to, on Mondays and Thursdays, so we get to Kriya Satora. So Kriya Satora opens with these, oh, it's interesting. Yeah, they only have one version of it. So in many Siddurim, they have two versions of this Kel Er Chapayim like in the R scroll. So they go ahead and they have that there. And they go ahead and they say, the presentation in most of the room, it says there's version A and version B. Some people refer to it as Nusach Polin and Nusach Lita. They refer to it as different Nuschongs, different versions of essentially the, uh, the, the, the same prayer. So over here, the, look at the wrong page. So the uh, in the my uh, my sefer makor hatfilos so about the uh, the origin of tefillas, so he says that the significance is part of the significance is that it begins with the word kale and ends with the word kale, so it, it begins and ends with God's name, and then he says that there are some places where they actually say both versions of the thing, that they don't say you don't choose one or the other. But some people go ahead and say both. In some, in some Siddurim, which I've seen, I didn't come across it this time, but they say that actually one of them is said by the Chazan, and then what the other one is said by the, 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 uh, the Tzibor as a sort of responsive uh, reading. But 
he says that the first one is has this word vahoshienu. That's a significant word of this that Hashem should save us. And then in version B, if you were if we were to have version B side by side, so the key word is going to be vahatsilenu. So one is you should save us, and one is you should save us. <laughs> Yeshua is the salvation, and Hatzala is also is going to be a, a helper assistance. So what's the idea? So for those who say both of those nuschos, those who read both versions of it, so what's the significance? So he explains. He says, this is from the Avudraham, Abudaram. He says, The first thing we ask Hashem for is, that we want to be redeemed from our current exile. And that's going to be the ultimate salvation. That is what Yeshua is. Yeshua is going to be that ultimate salvation when we're no longer in exile. And then we ask God for mercy. Why are we asking God for mercy? Even though right now we haven't yet been saved, we still find ourselves in Golos. So really what we're diving for is we want to be out of this Golos. But while we're here, so we need lots of racha, I mean, we need lots of mercy from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you should save us while we have to continue to endure this exile from all of the, the, uh, the suffering that the, the, uh, our enemies impose on us in all of their decrees. That's the end of what, the, what he writes. And then he says, also interesting, he says, He says, if you count up the words in the two versions, so you'll reach the number 50. What's the significance of that? I don't know how once you have the number 50, how you decide how you're going to go ahead and break that down, as you'll see. But this is why they get paid the big bucks and they publish these farm and I just read them. But he says, hadibros. So the number 50 of these two paragraphs, which are leading into Kriya Satora, so they correspond to the Aseras Hadibros, the 40 days that Moshe Rabbeinu was on the mountain in order to receive the Torah. So Aseras Hadibros, 10 plus the 40 days, 10 plus 40 is 50, and that's why there's going to be 50, that's why there are 50 words in those two Nuschos together. Okay. So that's as far as that uh, that paragraph or those two paragraphs are concerned, the Kel Er Now, the idea behind reading Torah on a Monday or a Thursday, so this is something which is uh, is discussed, the uh, the Sugi and the Gemara, where this is discussed is in Baba Kama. Baba Kama, Pei Be Samad Aleph. We now read to you the, uh, the, the, the Bryce and part of the, uh, the, the Gemara's discussion. So it says, the Tanya Hasam, it says over there, Eser Takanos Tiken Ezra. So Ezra, who was the leader of the Jewish people at the beginning of the second Beis HaMikdash, he was the one who led the people back to Eretz Yisrael and, uh, and was, uh, was in charge and put together a number of enactments which went into place at that time. So he was the one who, had, the Gemara says initially, the Bryce says, he was the one who enacted that there's going to be Kriya Satara, Shabbos afternoon, Mincha, Mondays and Thursdays. Umaksha Gemara, so the Gemara there asks, wait a minute, how can you possibly say that, that Ezra was the one who introduced Torah reading on Mondays and Thursdays? This is an ancient Takana which preceded Ezra by a long, by a long shot. The Tanya, like the Brisa teaches, 
The Torah tells us that the Jewish people went for three days traveling in the wilderness. This is actually before Mount Torah, but they went for three days and they couldn't find any water. In Dorshe Rishumos Amru, and those who know how to darshan, the deeper meaning of Psukim tells us, in Mayim al Torah. It wasn't that they couldn't find any water, who didn't have Evian water as they were traveling through the wilderness. But what they didn't have was they didn't have any Torah to be able to, uh, to study, Torah which is equated with water. That being that, they went three days without Torah, they were worn out. Spiritually, they were worn out. And therefore, the Nevi'im, the prophets who were around at that time, amongst the Moshe Benu, they enacted that we read Shabbos morning, then you skip Sunday, and then you read on Vikarim Bisheni, then you read on Monday, then we skip two days. Tuesday, Wednesday, Vikorim Bechamishi, and then we read on Thursdays, Umafsikim Erev Shabbos, we skip Erev Shabbos, Kedei Shalyecho Shoshayomivilo Torah, so that we should not go three days without Torah. So, how could you tell me that the enactment to read on Mondays and Thursdays comes from Ezra? This is something which came from the travels of the Jewish people in the wilderness. So, the Gemara answers, You're right. The practice of reading Torah on Mondays, Thursdays, that traces itself back to the Dor HaMidbar, the generation of the wilderness. But what Ezra was misakin, what he enacted, what he introduced was Tchalasa Gavri. So this was the first time that there's going to be such a thing as reading three aliyahs on Mondays and Thursdays. Before then, they didn't have, I don't know if they had seven or they had one or they had whatever number they were willing to tolerate. But the formality of having three aliyahs, that was introduced by Ezra. Vasar psukim, as well as the minimum number of psukim on a Monday, Thursday kriya, which is going to be 10 psukim. Keneged, asar batlanim, which corresponds to the 10 people who would be available in shuls in case people needed to make minyanim. Okay, and that part is also in, in Megillah. So that's the origin of the, uh, of the, uh, uh, of kriya satara on Mondays and Thursdays. So it's really a two-part, a two-part enactment. One was introduced in the generation of the wilderness to just read the Torah without a, a minimum number of psukim and without a minimum number of readers. And then Ezra came along and he further formalized that by saying that there has to be at least 10 psukim and we need to have at least three aliyahs. Okay, give up. Then we have the, uh, uh, after we say this, and we go ahead and we have these psukim of Ahibin Soha Arum. These psukim, which uh, which we say, which is also it's seemingly a random collection of uh, of psukim, but the opening words, which is what people remember about this paragraph, is this idea: whenever the ark traveled. So, here, the Lukute Marich, also one of the, a, a later commentary commentator to uh, to the sitter and davening related minhagim. He says, he writes, He says, the practice of reading these psukim, when we open up the Aaron, if you open up the page of Shulchan Aruch and you try and search on the page of Shulchan Aruch where this should be mentioned, it's not mentioned on the page at all. Nobody mentions it. They didn't have this practice. As recently as Rav Yosef Karo and the commentaries, the primary commentaries to Orachim, they don't mention it at all. Says Achu Bekobo. It does find itself in the Rishonim, but it didn't get translated. It didn't make its way into Shulchan Aruch at all. The Seder Kriyas the Torah Shabbos, but even the Kolbo 
who mentions it, and this is part of where I began to see how these things go back and forth, and it's a lot of footwork. The Kolbo mentions it, but not over here, not on the weekday to say it. He only mentions it on Shabbos. Uh, yeah, okay, so that so that's one thing which is interesting, is that it used to be that either they didn't say it, or this is something which was only said on Shabbos. But, um, yeah, okay, so that is, so that's a, that, that's one interesting thing about where exactly that, uh, that, that, uh, that, that comes from. Now, the next paragraph which we say, and they mention over here, this is the paragraph of Brich Shemei. So Brich Shemei, as we know, this is an Aramaic paragraph, which we say, and here they even tell us, it says, Isa Bezoar. So this is something which traces itself back to the, uh, to the Zohar. It's a, it's a paragraph taken out of the, uh, uh, out of the Zohar. And the Zohar writes, um, yeah, it says, and you actually have this, some of these words over here, Amr Reb Shimon, Reb Shimon says, so at the time that we go ahead and we take out the Sefer Torah from the Aaron Kodesh to read from it, so the gates of heaven uh, for mercy open. So there's special uh, uh, portals which open up at that time. And at that time, they add in over here, it awakens Hashem's love, and therefore, and a person should therefore say the following, and then the Brich Shemei is what the Zohar recommends that a person is going to go ahead and, uh, and say. It's interesting that in one of my Sfarim, uh, they assume that people do not are not fluent in Aramaic, Therefore, to make it easier for people to understand what exactly Brich Shmei is about, so they go ahead and they translate it into Yiddish. I won't do that for you. <laughs> but in case you wanted a Yiddish translation of Brich Shmei, so let me know, and I'll be more than happy to go ahead and, uh, and share that with you. Now he says, uh, now here also, it's an interesting thing about saying this paragraph Brich Shmei. So Lekute Marich writes, he says, V'hine b'divre ha-rizal yesh beis deos. I'm So if you look in there, Rizal, who talks about, he would be the one who would introduce the recitation of Brich Shemei at the time that we're taking out the Torah. So there's actually two versions of what the Rizal held. Some people say, that you would only say, this also is something which would only be said on Shabbos, a special time. Um, and then he says, he says that the Behetev writes, B'Shem HaRizal, He maintains that you would say it even during the weekday. That's our practice, is to say it even during the weekday. And if you look in the Siddur, which they put together based on the Minhagim of the Arizal, as well as Rav Moshe Cordovero, another great Kabbalist, they also bring it down in terms of something which is said during the uh, during the, uh, the the weekday, and uh, Doctor uh, Rabbi Doctor Eli Monk, so he has a very nice thing along these lines, and he writes that uh, following his uh, translation of the uh, the opening line of the uh, of, of from the Zohar, he says, "Thus, this prayer makes use, as it were, of a propitious hour to pray for the fulfillments of our heart fulfillment." of our heart's deepest desires. 
for a similar reason, the Av Harachamim, uh, Av Harachamim, which, is, uh, we, which we say over here, this paragraph of Av Harachim, this is after we've already taken the, the Torah, this is probably one of the least said things uh, in this part of the Siddur, but after we've taken the, the, the Torah out and we brought it onto the, uh, onto the Bima, so there's another paragraph that which you say Av Harachamim, but he says, and the Hiratzon, I recite at this point in the service, the Hiratzon, I assume he's talking about what we say after Kriya Torah, these Hiratzons. So the reason why we are invoking, we're saying all of these special prayers at this time is, is specifically because when the Torah is taken out of the Aron Kodesh, so that's what he says, that's what he describes as a propitious hour to pray for the fulfillment of our heart's deepest desires. And therefore, we throw in all sorts of extra prayers at that time in order to try and take advantage of this, uh, of this, very, sacred, uh, this very sacred moment. Okay, now, the last thing that, uh, that I just want to draw your attention to is, before we move on to Ashrei, is this paragraph of Godlur, this line of Godlula Shemiti. So this is something which, again, um, uh, uh, during the weekday, we only say Godlu, Godlu, yeah, Shvana. We only say uh, Godlu, and uh, on Shabbos we add in the the uh, the line of Shema Yisrael, Hashem Akein, Hashem Achad, and then the uh, the uh, the other line that goes together with it. So the Magen Avram says, "Tzarech lahagbiat Torah b'Shash Omer Shema Yisrael, Echad Elokeinu, as well as Godlu." So he says, uh, now a lot of this is taken. Let me give you just a, a, a little bit of, of background for, uh, for some of this. So there's one of the, what's referred to as the minor mesechtas. So in the minor mesechtas are things which you find in back of, uh, of uh, I think it's uh, of, in the back of, used to be in the standard set of shas, you'd find them in the back of Avodazara is typically where you would find it. So you have one of those mesechtas is called Masecha Sofrin. Masecha Sofrim is a collection of all sorts of different uh, ideas, a lot of it related to Sifrei Torah, but there's one particular chapter, a Perak Yudalid, from which many of the halachas related to Kriya Torah actually emanate from, that they're actually going to be traced from. Taking out the Sefer Torah, what we say when we take out the Sefer Torah, doing Hagba, showing it to everybody, all of those different practices which we have, and I actually thought about pulling up the uh, Masecha Sofrim and just going through that chapter together with you. Uh, I decided against it, but it's something which, uh, which, uh, which, which is there. So this practice of saying these Psukim together with lifting up the Torah at that time, so that's something which is traces itself back to this, uh, I don't know how ancient, but, uh, but, uh, but pretty old literature of the minor Masechta uh, uh, of Masecha Sofrim. So this is something which is important just to be uh, to be mindful of that a lot of these practices are uh, go back pretty far. Some of them we mentioned are pretty recent, like saying Vayibin Soa and whatnot is something which is uh, which is pretty recent, and uh, saying Brich Shemei is something which is pretty recent. But these other things go back to uh, to these um, you know the time of the Tanoim or the time of the Amoraim, whoever went ahead and put together these uh, these minor masechtas. Okay, now. After all of that is done, so now, and we're going to put the Torah away, and again, we're not going to go through all of this, <coughs> all of this which is here. Um, but then, we can, get I, can to, I ask? Can I yes. ask? Why yes, do we please. not say Yehirot Son on days we don't say Tachanan? Um, yeah, because they they uh, focus our attention on the needs which we have, which are sometimes. 
uh, related to sad things, like like you have over here. So, yeah. So a lot of these things are related to uh, the Keller Chapaim also. You know, w- when we skip it and when we not, this is one of those those things that I just have a mental block because uh, it, to a large degree in my head, uh, uh, it's just uh, rote memorization. When we do say it, when we don't, which days we do say it, which way do, days we don't. And my brain doesn't work well with just uh, memorizing random facts. So I spent some time learning the, the rules. They're probably settled in my head a little bit, uh, a little bit better. But, uh, you know, by and large, just take out a luach and say, you know, follow whatever they tell you to, uh, to do. Typically, they make it more difficult for me. They say some say it and some don't. And then I have to go ahead and make a, make a judgment call. But, uh, yeah. We have a rule in our show. When they say some do, we don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a big follower of that, uh, of that, uh, that rule. And a lot of them say, consult your Rob. Yeah. So that didn't get, didn't get us anywhere. Yeah, that's a mistake. <laughs> okay. There's, in every show, there's, there's somebody who's, uh, who works as a gabai who remembers all of these minhagi. Uh, that's the most valuable person in, in show is a person who remembers, uh, you know, year after year what, uh, what exactly is, uh, is done. But I'm not, uh, I'm not that, uh, that person, that's for sure. Okay. So now we get to what we would call the conclusion of davening. Actually, I'm going to go a little bit out of order from the way I have it in my notes, uh, but just to get, our, to get ourselves um, oriented as far as what we're doing now, once we have finished Shmon Esrei in Kriya Satara, which you know, is a little bit of an interruption of all of that. So then we get to the end of davening, which is now going to be, is going to be Ashrei all the way through the end of davening. So here... Let me read to you what from the world of prayer from Rabbi Dr. Eli Monk. Let me read to you what, what he says, because this is important as we talk about the, whole, the, the name of the series. It is GPS, is to be able to see the landscape as you're making your way through the, uh, the, through the, uh, through the sitter. And we talked about, if you remember, we talked about that there are four different olamos which exist. And you have to go through that the purpose of davening is to go step by step through those different spiritual worlds to get to the highest one where Akash Baruch is going to be found. Or if you remember, way back at the beginning, there was a chart from my Simonim sitter, which had a ladder going up, which is a Shmon Esrei. And then once you get Shmon Esrei, you don't just fall off the cliff, but you have to also follow a, a, a similar type of pattern going down, same type of slope going, uh, going downwards. So along those lines, so we have to wonder, once, once I've already reached the pinnacle of my davening, which is having that conversation, that intimate conversation with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so what more is there that I need to go ahead and say or discuss with, uh, with Hashem that you need to go ahead and you need to stick around for Ashrei Lamasech, Uvalitzion, all of that stuff. So in the world of prayer, he writes as follows. The Shachrits had, in Shmon Esri and Tachlun, attained its climax. We had reached the, quote, world of pure spirit, end quote. Now we descend again into the world of everyday life. So what we're doing is we're transitioning from being able to reach the highest levels of the intimate conversation with the Gadish Baruch Hu, And at some point after that, sometime shortly, I got to go to work. <laughs> I, get, I, I can't just go ahead and have this, this stark contrast between a conversation with God and then sitting in my cubicle, uh, you know, doing work uh, where, where, wherever I happen to do so. So you have to sort of ease yourself into it 
Otherwise, it will be, uh, you know, perhaps a bit uh, spiritually traumatic to go ahead and jump from one to the other. So he said, the last part is open with the 145th Psalm, what we call Ashrei, because it shows, in, it shows in impressive clarity how the omnipotent God, the mighty king, to the recognition of whom the prayer had led us to a, in a gradual ascent, is also the universal provider, the loving and just, just providence, close to all who call out to him in earnest. So we're trying to, to, to take with us, we're trying to transition very specifically is, is that I reach this level where I have this conversation with, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, And now the most important thing to do after conversation with HaKadosh Baruch Hu is to take him with us as we go out into the world. As we go, wherever we're going to end up for the rest of the day and what are going to be engaged in for the rest of the, rest of the day. So we want to make sure that we're mindful of the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to be together with us throughout that, uh, that, that process. So the way that we go ahead and do so, one of the ways that we begin to make that transition is we remember that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, like we say, that we're, we're going out to work in order to earn a living to be able to support our families. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the one who's going to assist us in that process of supporting our families. So that's a tra- tra- the, uh, the transition that we're making, not that you have a spiritual experience when you're in shul, and then as soon as you leave shul, spirituality is gone, and you're no longer connected to that. We want to make sure that the descent is gradual so that you'll be able to realize that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is with you during, that, uh, during the, the rest of the day as well. And that's really what we are trying to accomplish with that. Okay, so that was the more general background to, uh, to what's happening. Now, I have some interesting stuff, uh, I think interesting, from the Rishonim as far as this is, is concerned. And a little bit of overlap will be b- between them, but I think that the, uh, overall it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. So the first one is the Abu Draham. So as we said, the Abu Draham, Abu Darham, is one of the, uh, the oldest commentators to, uh, to the Siddur, to the Siddur and Davin related practices. So he mentions that So we have this minute to say Ashrei three times a day. In the three, the number three corresponds to the three times a night that a Basco comes out and makes the following declaration. Woe to me that I have destroyed my house, I have burned my sanctuary, and I've exiled my children amongst the nations of the world. And therefore, and therefore, being that we're, we're being mindful of the fact that Hashem burned the Beis HaMikdash, and all we're left with is a miniature sanctuary, i.e. a shul, but a shul is just a miniature based on Mikdash. So therefore we say, that's why we begin, So being able to sit as close as we can spiritually to the base of Mikdash is to be in shul. And therefore, the, the, being that the Basco comes out in, in bemoans the fact that the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed three times a day. So we remind ourselves those three times a day that we are, we are not in the Beis HaMikdash. We're getting as close as we possibly can. So that's why we're here at round two of the three times that we mentioned uh, 
they were going to say Ashrei. So that's the significance of it, not necessarily at this point. He's not highlighting that. He's not emphasizing that or addressing that. But he is talking about why we're going to go ahead and say it three times. Now, the Tshuva Sagonim, he says something which, uh, which is fascinating. This is something I'd never heard uh, before. And he writes, so that's the Gemara. The Gemara says that somebody who says Ashrei three times a day is assured in uh, of getting a, a, a portion in the world to come. And we group those things together, okay. And then he says that uh, uh, he quotes one of the Gonim, when Chazal say that somebody who says Ashrei three times is assured of the world, world to come, they didn't say that you have to say it two or three times necessarily. Really, all you need to do in order to earn this spot in Olam Haba is all you really need to do is say Ashrei once a day. That's all you really need to do. So you can say, I could get that Olam Haba in one Ashrei. I don't need to do uh, three Ashreis. I could do one Ashrei. And he said, this is like so, so, so practical. He says, really, according to the, the, the spiritual rules, all you need to do is say Ashrei once a day, and that already gets you into Olam Haba. The later Chachamim, later Chachamim, this is going back to the time of the Gonin, but they're saying that the, the Amorim, the later Amorim, they were the ones, ones who instituted that we should say Ashrei three times a day, Psukit Zimra, right before Uval Etzion, and right before Mincha. Why did they institute that we should be saying it three times a day? Shema Yivsha B'Pam Obishtayim. Because maybe you're not paying attention, you said it one time, or another time you have to run out of davening early, so you didn't get a chance to go ahead and say it. And then the third time you may show up late to Mincha, so by the time you get there, they're already in Shmon Esrei, and you just jump in and you say Shmon Esrei, and then you forget to say Ashrei afterwards. And therefore, Tishtayr Achaz B'Yadam. So if they structure into the sitter that you should say it three times a day, we hope that that will cover everybody and everybody will end up saying it at least once. Because all you really need to do is say it once. But there's nothing magical about saying it three times. We just put these additional reinforcements in place that you should repeat it so that hopefully everybody will end up saying it once. So that is something which, uh, you know, if somebody were to write that nowadays, so they'd probably be labeled some sort of apicaris or something like that. But when it's something which is coming from the gonim, so the gonim could go ahead and they could get away with uh, saying such a, such a thing. And then uh, another idea which they say is, this is from the Shibole Haleket. He writes as, as follows. He says, Matsasi b'shem Rabbeinu Shlomo Zatzal, so there was a practice which in the earlier generations, earlier generations meaning earlier Tanayim already had the practice, that they, they would not, as we talked about before, that they were afraid also of going straight from Shmon an intimate private conversation with Gersh Baruch Hu, and just fall off the cliff into, into this world, into the mundane realities of this world. So therefore they would spend an hour after Shmon Sort of transitioning themselves back into this uh, physical world, and they would they would remain in shul for another hour. Um, so that's why we say When we say fortune are those who dwell in your house, dwell in your house. We say it specifically at this time 
because this is going to be said by those people who did, did not run out right after Shmon Esrei to catch the train, to catch the bus, to be able to try and beat traffic on their way downtown into the, into the city, whatever. But Ashrei Yosher Yisecha, fortunate are those who continue to sit here and will be here for the next hour or so, uh, uh, stepping back from Shmon Esrei, meaning Kolomar Hashoin Devesecha, that they sit around in your house, like uh, like uh, we say, and those are the people that we are, are are describing as fortunate is those people who don't have to go ahead and run out as soon as davening is over, but those people who can sit around for a little bit and could uh, and uh, and can relax and get themselves transitioned from the spiritual high of Shmon Esrei down to the uh, uh, to the uh, to the mundane aspects of this uh, of this world, and then. The last thing, as far as Ashrei is concerned, is <coughs> um, right. So here's another. So we gave one explanation uh, as to why the the Chuvas why we say Ashrei three times. So here, um, in the Lukute Maharich, so he writes as follows. He says, "Fatam Shomer Ashrei." Oh, there we go. Yeah, the reason why we say Ashrei, okay, look over there. And then he says, the Gimel Pa'amim, the reason why we say it three times is him, the Gimel Hatfilos. Really, we should say Ashrei once in Shachris, once by Mincha, and once by Marav. Ashrei is a beautiful uh, introduction to uh, our, our perspective on HaKadosh Baruch Hu and uh, the fact that he is a provider. So really, it should be said, really, they sh- what they should have instituted was once before every Shimon Ashrei, you're going to say Ashrei. And therefore, there should be an Ashrei that's part of Marv. But it happens to be that in the time of Chazal, so they considered Marv to be something which was an optional prayer. It wasn't yet accepted as mandatory that everybody was obligated to say. And there were times when they actually did not say Marv. For whatever necessity existed, why they uh, they didn't say uh, uh, they didn't say marv and therefore being that according to this explanation we don't say it three times so you end up saying it at least once but you're saying it three times because it's an introduction to every one of the shmon asrays so they really had a specific reason why three times the gam ains man tehila belila ki and also nighttime is not a time to recite psalms. He says, for those people who are Yodechein, Yodechein is a poetic way of saying those people who are familiar with Kabbalistic principles. So everybody who knows anything about Kabbalah knows that we don't say Tehillim at night. There's a regular recitation. Really, it's all of Nach or all of Tanakh. We try and avoid it at night. But certainly to go ahead and just say regular, we're not talking about in an emergency situation when a person is ill, we're talking about that in the normal course of things. So you should not schedule, one should not schedule their Tehillim recitation, their daily Tehillim recitation, whatever that may be, it should not be scheduled at night. So that's another reason why we wouldn't say Ashrei at night, because it's really just Tehillim. So Lakach Tiknu L'Omra Pa'amayim B'Shachris. He says, it's that reason that we go ahead and we say, we took the one that should have been assigned to Marav and we throw that into Shachas. So we have a second one at, uh, at, at, at Shachas. And then he says, and this is something also I'd never heard before. He says, So if you go ahead and you look at the Sefer Yisod B'Shor Shavoda, 
which is a safer, which gives you kavanas. It gives you thoughts and perspectives about every mitzvah which you're going to do. And it gives you very detailed thoughts about that he was a very holy individual and everything he, uh, everything he did, he did with great kavanah, with great intent and great concentration. And he wrote a safer about it to encourage other people to, uh, to uh, follow a similar type of practice. So he says, in the name of the Zohar, the Ashrei Zeh, the Ashrei which we say before Uval Etzion, the Ashrei which we say at the end of Shachris, Chiyuv Yoser Me'ashrei Shopsuket Ezimra, is a greater obligation than the Ashrei that we say in Tzuket Ezimra. So this is something which is fascinating. This I had never heard by, as I said, I had never heard this, uh, this, this before. Certainly according to Chuvas Agonim, I don't think that there would be a priority of one ashray over another ashray. They're all essentially the same. But the Zohar apparently says that this ashray of, uh, of, uh, of after Shmon Esrei is more important, is a greater obligation than, than the ashray which we say as part of, part of Pesuket Zimra, which is interesting because the ashray of Pesuket Zimra is the essence of Pesuket Zimra. You have a bracha before, a bracha after, and the ashray in the middle of there. That's the essence of it. If you have no time to say Pesuket Zimra, or very little, limited time, you would say, Baruch Shamar Ashray Yishtabach. You could actually say that as, as a sequence. And as important as that is, as ashray in Pesuket Zimra is, as an introduction to Shmon Ashray, for some reason, the Zohar holds that the ashray, which we say after Shmon Ashray, is, uh, is even more important than that. But he doesn't say exactly why that is. He doesn't uh, quote the uh, why the Zohar says that. He just uh, makes reference to the fact that the uh, the Zohar makes such a, such a statement. Okay, so I think we're going to hold it over here uh, after Ashrei. So next week, in Hashem. So I think we're still going to be after Mar for another two weeks, uh, and then we'll switch over to uh, to before, and then Minch uh, will be late enough that we could uh, do it before uh, before Minchamar. But next week, so we will start with the, uh, the section of Lam Natsach. And, to everybody for coming.